0: All right, so um, we are in um, First Samuel, uh, just getting started with our with our study, and uh, just to recap, um, First Samuel is taking place at the last part of the time of the judges, when there were lots of uh, lots of tribalism uh, within um, uh, the area of, of Israel. Uh, they weren't really a big cohesive group uh, at the moment. The last time they had been one really cohesive group was after they had fought the battles to, to take the promised land. And then at that point, uh, each tribe was uh, apportioned a section of land uh, to call their own. So uh, as that would happen, they would settle in those areas um, and uh, uh, their, their clans and so forth. Uh, were predominant. Uh, we've learned about the Philistines, and we're going to see a lot about them uh, next week. Uh, we know that they had moved, from, or I guess um, uh, tried to colonize, uh, starting off in like the Greek Isles and some of those areas had moved to the uh, coast of the uh, uh, the, the land of, of Israel there, had established many cities along the coast, and uh, they would periodically uh, intervene uh, and uh, perhaps even subjugate some of the uh, tribes uh, that they came in contact with. Uh, we know that uh, contrary to God's command, they had not driven out all of the people of the land completely. They had not extinguished them as God had commanded, um, but they were were remnants of these people and they had not totally done away with their gods and. And uh, as a result, um, their occupation of the land was not quite as God has intended. Uh, It was tainted. And we're going to see evidence of that sin kind of permeate through our story today. As Dad mentioned last week, we learned about uh, Elkanah, his two wives, um, his wife Hannah, who had not had any children at all, Uh, But then she prayed earnestly to God, uh, if I could have a son, if I could have a son, I would dedicate him to you. Um, And God answered that request. And um, we uh, finished out last week in the second chapter of 1 Samuel as Hannah prays uh, in song to God, uh, a song of thanksgiving. And then in verse 11, it says, Then Elkanah went home to Ramah. They had been at Shiloh and, uh, and had uh, followed through with that commitment that uh, if Hannah were to get a son, they would dedicate him to the Lord. So they had gone to Shiloh. They had handed Samuel over to Eli the priest. Uh, and in verse 11, it says, And the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now things take a turn and we find um, uh, about Eli and especially his sons. Verse 12, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot And all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And If the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. So the rules of the sacrifice um, had been laid out through Moses uh, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and so forth, and there was already some deviation from uh, how it was supposed to go. Uh, Apparently there was this tradition that, okay, we're going to stick our fork into this pot, whatever comes up is ours. Uh, So that was one deviation that was just kind of interesting. But I guess that had come to be somewhat accepted. But now they take it even further. And one of the things was when when they offered the sacrifice, the fat was supposed to be burned uh, as an offering to the Lord. Well, um, apparently Eli's sons, uh, they didn't want that. They wanted to do with the meat what they wanted to. So they said, no, we want it raw we want it raw, we're looking for steak, we're not looking for boiled meat, and, uh, and we want to cook it ourselves and so forth. So they put themselves ahead of God in that whole sacrificial plan. Do you think God looks kindly on that? No, God does not look kindly on that. We'll see that a little bit later. But what was their sin? Verse 17, it says, Thus the sin of the Lord of the young men was very great, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Um, we know all the rules about how they were supposed to offer the sacrifice, how they were supposed to be cleansed. And here they are saying, You know, yeah, we want our cut first. This was not going to go well for them. Now, Let me pause here because one thing I want you to see is that this whole section is going to be comparing and contrasting, you might say, what goes on with the sons of Eli versus Samuel, all right? Um, And it's going to be a picture of what's bad and a picture of what's good. So the scene shifts now to Samuel in verse 18. Samuel was ministering before the Lord. A boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. And indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. this uh phrase and the young man grew in the presence of the lord um, is uh is just you know a summary statement of how well things are going with Samuel uh this linen ephod was uh an apron like um covering that was uh, worn by priests now uh, Samuel was, was young, was not a, a full-fledged priest, but was helping a minister with a free, priestly duty, so wore uh, that garment over the robe that his mom would make him uh, every year as, as he would grow. Now, the scene goes back to Sam, to uh, Eli's sons, verse 22. Now, Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel. And how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear from the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. So this is an, an interesting section. Um, Eli, it says, is old. Uh, we find out later that his eyesight wasn't that great. Um, he wasn't in good health. Uh, so he wasn't in the mix as much, but he would hear reports of what all was going on. So far beyond Interrupting the sacrifice and treating God's sacrifice with contempt and getting the meat—they were having sex with women who were supposed to be helping out at the temple. Is this proper? No. Just in case you're wondering, this is not proper. <laughs> this is a little hesitation there. No, no, no. This is this is not proper. It's actually still not proper. Um, just just to be clear, um, but this was common with those other pagan religions, temple prostitutes and so forth. Um, So this is just another evidence where, you know, if if you are surrounded by a culture that starts to treat some things as okay, eventually it starts to seem okay if your standard of reference is attached to the culture. This is kind of like what dad was trying to make the point. We can't tie our sense of right and wrong to the culture, which is always shifting and changing. Many people probably back in the 50s kind of were able to take a shortcut because there wasn't as much difference between the light of scripture and culture. But we are way past that now. The Bible hasn't changed, but the culture has certainly shifted. So we can look down our noses at the sons of Eli, but there are vast sections of the world, and, and including our own country, um, that have lost sight of, of what is the source of absolute truth. I'll come back to that. Verse 26. Here's the contrast again. Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. This is one of two times you'll hear similar phrasing like this where a young man is commended for um, his connection with God. Um, The second is... Jesus himself. And this phrasing sounds very similar. I'll read again 1 Samuel 2.26. Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Verse 52 of Luke chapter 2 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I find those things... Um, those verses interesting because you know we kind of say well we shouldn't have man's approval that's not what we're shooting for right uh, and I agree with that we're shooting for God's approval but I think where some people uh, might stand to learn from this other phrase in- increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God with man mm-hmm is that and just to go to the New Testament for a moment it says Jesus came in the spirit of grace and truth so if you do it right you can be in favor with God and man in other words people will know that even though your message may be different from the culture Your life is so blameless that they don't have anything to give you trouble about. That you can still be loving and you can still care for your community and you can still stand up for what's right, but if you do it with enough grace, then people still look favorably upon you. Um, uh, The Reverend Billy Graham, I think, is a good example of this. You'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that said something something bad about Billy Graham, even though he was very much a man of the word right so so it's okay um, and it, if nobody likes you in the world, maybe you're just so abrasive that you've forgotten what grace looks like i don't know verse twenty seven and there came a man of God to Eli, so this is a prophet now, we're going to see if we go straight into 2 Samuel, which perhaps we will, you remember David gets confronted by a prophet right? Prophets are the ones that God uses to to, okay, hey we're, we're calling you on this um, I've got a message from God for you and uh, here's, here's something you need to hear because uh, there's a correction that needs to be made Verse 27, and there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, thus the Lord has said, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And of course, that's a rhetorical question. Like, yes, you did. Uh, I gave to your father I'm sorry. I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about the tribe of Levi, as Levi was the the original son of Jacob who uh, was given those priestly responsibilities, um, or, and his his descendants. Um, Verse 29, Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. In other words, this was a promise that God had made to Levi's clan. But now the Lord declares far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed upon Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever." The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. That is not good. Nobody's going old in your house anymore. Um, I'm cutting you off. I'm cutting the strength of your family off. Verse 34, it gets real specific. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and say, Please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. So his sons had been living high, taking the first cut of the sacrifice. They're going to be laid low after this judgment. Let me finish this next session. There's a lot of reading. I apologize, but we're just going to go right through. Now, the young man Samuel, so here we are back with Samuel, right? This contrast. The young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. In other words, it wasn't like back in Moses' day where it seemed like God was physically present you know, with the cloud and the fire, and, and, and God was speaking to Moses all the time, and you know, it wasn't like that. Hundreds of years have gone by, so it's unusual now for God to be speaking. Verse 2, At that time Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place, and the lamp of God had not yet gone out. The lamp of God was with that lampstand we learned about. It would be lit in the evening and filled up with enough oil to pretty much last till the morning, at which time it would basically have been burned out. So, this is saying the lamp of God had not yet gone out. So it's probably dawnish, early, wee hours of the morning. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and, Here I am, for he called me. But Eli says, I, I did not call, lie down again. So he, that is Samuel, went down and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel? God probably didn't sound like that, actually. (laughs) Samuel, there we go. Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. In other words, he didn't know what the Lord sounded like and acted like. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Verse 8, And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived... That it was the Lord that was calling the young man. And therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in this place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. That's an interesting phrase, right? I mean, we hear and see so many things that you hear it, you can't well like to tell somebody, right? On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, and I will declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Okay. Verse 15, Samuel lay until morning and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli, but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing and Eli says, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. So, this prophet had told Eli it's not going to go well for you. Judgment has been determined and now Eli, uh, rather, the Lord has told Samuel essentially the same thing. So when Samuel goes to tell Eli what God said, Eli has to conclude, number one, it was God talking to Samuel. Otherwise, how would this probably 12-year-old boy have known what God said? And then number two, if I had any doubts about this prophet that came and told me this, I can't doubt it now because now I've heard it twice. Verse 19, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, in other words, everything he said came to pass as a prophet. Verse 20, And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord, and the Lord appeared to him again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Um, for the... um. One thing I'll, I'll show, commentators make a point that this entire section is what they call a, a chiasm, uh, which the word chiasm is a Greek for the letter X. Um, so if you've got the letter X, take the left side of the letters, everything goes in and out, it's like an outline. And so you have letter A, the Song of Hannah that we refer to talking about the Lord's anointed. If you go to the end of chapter 2, down here at the bottom, what they have A prime, the oracle of man and God, concluding with a reference to God's anointed. If you go in, point B, Samuel ministers before the Lord, and then B prime, Samuel grows in the Lord's presence. C, the sins of Eli's son. C prime, again, the sins of Eli's son. Point D, Samuel ministers before the Lord. D-prime, Samuel grows in the Lord's presence. And then right in the middle, Eli blesses Samuel's parents. This was a technique of writing that was very purposeful. And by organizing this passage that way, it, the intent was that it was, would emphasize every pair of points and the climax, so to speak, of the passage would be whatever was in the middle. Um, so uh, it's just an interesting thing. This shows up in many places in Scripture, uh, and uh, we'll call it out occasionally. But it just, it's one of those things that, unless someone points it out to you, like the teaching pointed out to me, you would, never, you would never catch this. But it's just one of those little features that says, you know, the words that we have, they're not by accident you know, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit um, in this literary technique to really highlight um, this message to us. Uh, so I just wanted to bring that out real briefly. All right. Um, so what do we do with a passage like this? It's a story, right? It's an account of what happened. Uh, sometimes when I say the word story, I, I don't want people to misunderstand that I don't think it's true. All right. This is not fairy tale. I consider this an account, but Um, You can have true stories, of course. Um, And I think this is a a true story. But it made me think, okay, well, what do we take from this? I think there are several points. I'd be interested to hear what your points would be. But one point is, don't underestimate the capacity of a child to hear God and to be entrusted with an important message, right? Uh, Samuel was probably around 12 when God spoke to him and did God sugarcoat it as to what was going to happen to Eli? No, it was very sobering. This was uh, big stuff that was going on, and of course we know that that's around the age of twelve, you know, when traditionally a Jewish boy becomes a man the bar mitzvah, you know, and and one of the one of the amazing things that I saw firsthand during the years that we did uh, homeschooling, which we did every type of schooling you could have, public, private. Christian homeschooling you name it we did it um, and we never know we never knew more than a few months ahead of time which what it was going to be that year but um, one of the things I, I will say the Christian homeschooling community does is it doesn't really buy into this concept of teenage adolescent craziness um, they expect a lot from these young folks and the young folks don't know any better than to respond and act like grownups and uh, if, if You wouldn't believe it if you hadn't seen it, but if you ever go to like a homeschool convention, these are some of the most mature young men and women you'd ever seen, and and any of them would have easily been able to be entrusted with this. So uh, never underestimate the capacity, and I think one of the challenges for today's parents is to just expect more from our kids because they've got a lot to give. They're, They're way smarter than we probably give them credit for. Number two, did Eli know What was going on with his sons? Yes. Did he talk to them about changing? Yes. What was his problem? He didn't follow through. Actions speak louder than words, or in this case, inactions speak louder than words. I mean, we know this was a rough-and-tumble day, right? I mean, church involved slaughtering livestock. They had just come through times when they were supposed to massacre people. Uh, the Judges has many stories about battle. Uh, we know when the Golden Calf event happened that the priests of Levi strapped on the sword and they went to town on thousands of people who had practiced that idolatry, right? Right. So the godly thing probably would have been for Eli to rise up and to go deal with his sons and if that meant putting them down then God probably would have been fine with that. But that's not what happened. He just spoke against it but he didn't act against it. And then the third point I would make is that corrupted leaders can't stand in the way of what God wants to do. How many people in positions of leadership, have not lived up to their calling. We see it all the time. But does God's word still march on? It does. And we can be thankful for that. All right, what did you guys get out of this? When the Lord calls you better listen. When the Lord calls you better listen. That's, that's good. Yep. And yep. So it's good to listen. It's good to do. Right? James tells us that. Right. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers too. What else? You know, Art, It's interesting that when David was confronted by Nathan, that his response was to blend his clothes and to fall before God. Eli just said, "Well, whatever God wants." Yep. That really kind of stunned me because not even. Yep, there is. Um, there are there are sins of commission, of course, of which David was known to do. But there are sins of omission, um, where you're judged for not doing the thing. And I think James talks about that too, right? Uh, if you know the right thing to do and don't do it, that's sin. So that's sobering. The head of the family. God, not your children. The head of the family should be God, not your children. Uh, wow. Yeah, that speaks uh, to a lot of situations where, um, in fact, I, I've seen this just as, you know, I've been able to observe families go through my office and so forth. I've had some parents that their, ki- their kids get 14, 15 years old and, and they think they're done. They just want to be their buddy and they want to stop being a parent. It's like, man, you got to stay in the game. <laughs> you know, you're not done. Um, you're really not ever done, right? Your, your roles shift and your authority shifts, but you're, you're not ever done loving and praying and teaching and modeling, all those things. All right. Next week. What does your Bible say? Mine says the Philistines capture the ark. That's exciting, Right. Um, you kind of wish some of this stuff was like a movie, because it, like it reads like a movie to me. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your patience with us when we uh, say more than we do. Father, we, we pray that as we go through uh, life, that, that uh, your Holy Spirit could bring us to the point where people could say that we were in favor with God and man, like Samuel and Jesus Father, we do thank you for your son um, that all this is pointing to and we reap the benefit of his sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.